Disgusting's Boo Crew via the Speakeasy Studio are two creators whose incredible talent and imagination have given us some of the most intense and unforgettable characters and moments in the history of cinema. Their hard work and tenacity is the epitome of the inspired spirit of indie filmmaking. First off, a multi-award winning filmmaker and passionate horror fan since he was a little kid. After renting a copy of Tom Savini's Scream Greats at his local video store, he tore into the world of practical makeup effects with ferocity. Then came filming these gags with his friends and bringing them to life in short films, including The Ninth Circle that he also wrote and directed. It was part of a series that eventually made up the anthology All Hallows' Eve, showcasing an original character he came up with named Art the Clown. After completing the Rondo-nominated Frankenstein vs. The Mummy in 2015, Art got his very own feature, Terrifier, in 2016. People could not stop talking about it. It was the movie you dared your friends to watch. The brutality of the storyline and fearlessness of the camera was simply incomprehensible. It was fierce, it was dangerous, it was funny at times, and immediately punished you for having the audacity to so much as giggle. It was and is a masterpiece. Also here with us, an award-winning actor from the theater and voiceover world, toured nationally with Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas, the musical, and in the video games Two Worlds 2 and The Invisimals, as well as a six-time award-winning animated feature, Miss Hokusai. In 2016, with his first on-camera role, he created the lightning in a bottle, an instant icon, completely disappearing beneath 
beneath the makeup. He crafted a performance that was the embodiment of pure evil, and he did it with a wicked sense of joy that was palpable and invigorating. He magically captured a lifetime of the most storied characters in horror, from Jason to Michael Myers and their unstoppable and inescapable emotionless pursuit, with the swagger of Freddy Krueger in the presence of Count Orlock. Art is silent, but he's able to emote in an illustrious magic trick of physical execution, body language, and facial expressions in a way that is so unsettling it is nothing short of virtuosic. At long last, in a time of release, Art returns in the follow-up sequel, Terrifier 2, in theaters nationwide on October 6th from Cinedime, Bloody Disgusting, and Screambox, where it will also stream exclusively. We are honored to welcome writer-director and special effects master Damian Leone and Art himself, David Howard Thornton. Yeah! Wow! <laughs> Thank you for that, man. That was wonderful. Wow! That's the <laughs> best intro ever. I need you as a hype man. Can you go on dates with me? Sure. Hey, <laughs> we're in. We're in. Bring us along, guys. So we just watched Terrifier two. This is like Christmas morning for horror fans. Yeah. It's such a truly outstanding achievement that takes the insanity. Dare we say? even further which seems impossible but but it is uh, simply trying to explain key scenes in this film to someone sounds like either the ramblings of a of a maniac or or like trying to describe the experience of going through like the haunted mansion ride to someone from the victorian era the the innovation and ingenuity that you guys continue to bring on is is on a whole other level so we want to start there where do you go from a film as frenetic and visceral as terrifier what was the goal and was there even trepidation in doing a sequel trying to follow this up oh absolutely because the fans have embraced it so much and they're building it up and building up so much hype. And there was so much love for art and especially the hacksaw scene that becomes sort of notorious. <laughs> and yeah, that was sort of the showstopper. And people kept saying, how are they going to top that? Where can you go from there? So that, that was actually, that was tricky. That was one of the hardest obstacles we had to face. But aside from that, I really believe in looking at, you know, YouTube videos, reading comments, articles. And if there's a consensus and there's something that I see repeatedly that could be improved upon, uh, especially as a writer, you know, I'm going to take that to heart and I'm going to try and do my best because I want to deliver the best movie possible. So aside from the first movie, which was really a showcase for art, and it was him just doing his thing. That was us saying, you know, this is this, is this new character. This is this slasher. How do you guys feel about this guy? You know, is he worthy? Can, you know, will you embrace him? And then once they sort of accepted him in that way, it was about really delivering a movie that we could flesh out and now introduce protagonists that you can become invested in and a, and a bigger story, a bigger scope. And that was really the goal for, for part two. Now, whether or not we succeeded or not is yet to be determined, but that was the mindset going into a sequel. You definitely yeah. succeeded. <laughs> yeah. How about you, David? Were you at any part, did you play any part in kind of the conception of the sequel or did you just kind of respond to ideas that Damien had had? Oh yeah. We were uh, spitballing ideas even when we were making part one. If, if we were, if we were even saying back then, if we're lucky enough <laughs> to make part two, you know, we, we were just coming up with ideas. So 
while he was doing, especially when he was doing the whole process of writing the script, we were constantly in contact with each other with ideas and just bouncing ideas off each other and like, oh, this would be fun for a kill. But what if we did this and this and this? And what if we put art in this kind of scenario? Because I, I think one of the things that we had fun with this movie the second time around is really putting art in real world situations that you're not used to seeing a slasher like villain in. And we're like, oh, let's just see how this goes because, like, no one's ever expected anything like this. So let's let's put them in a scene like, you know, a laundromat or something like that, and just have fun with it. And it was great. It was it was great having that kind of collaboration with uh, the writer during all this because I wasn't there. You know, Damien and I didn't know each other when he wrote part one, so he didn't know what my style of acting was or anything like that. So. One thing we really did a lot in part two was wrote specific scenes where he just said art plays. And we just kind of went into that um, scene when we're filming to, you know, just like, okay, what are we actually going to do here? We have a bare bones idea, but we're going to really know what we're going to do when we get into the actual set. And so I got to really improvise a lot. So it was fun having those scenes kind of written to the, the, the movie this time around so i could just really experiment and see what fun crazy shtick we could come up with and i i think we succeeded in some of these well, yeah, oh yeah definitely <laughs> i loved the laundry scene and i think the most fascinating part for me was how did you get the blood stain out of the costume? Like, what yeah. detergent are you guys using? Because I suck at laundry. And I was like, he rules at laundry. Ancient Chinese secret. I got it. My sister knows that trick. All throughout Terrifier 1, she would be the one to wash that costume for me, believe it or not. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. How many costumes did you go through on, on Terrifier 1? Just one. Are you kidding me? Yeah. No way. Same costume plus another one for the majority of part two, but then we used a lot of other ones for just like little moments, um, which was actually part of, uh, cause we had fans helping us out this time. We had a big Indiegogo campaign and one of the uh, perks was to get his costume. So we had art and specific scenes wearing, wearing a costume just for them. So that was exciting. But I mean, like going back to what, what he said, a good example of that was like collaborating and coming up with ideas, which, Ironically, well, the scene right now, the sunglasses, everybody loves the art. There's like memes now in part two of art wearing the wacky uh, flower sunglasses. Yeah, the Halloween story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. So that scene in the script, that was like my homage to the scene in Pee-wee's Big Adventure when he's in the magic shop. That's one of my favorite. <laughs> so it was, it was that meets the pizzeria scene from part one because a lot of people love the pizzeria scene. So I said, we have to do another version of that. Um, so in the script, it was you know, Art wears these goofy glasses and every time Sienna turns around, he's wearing another pair of glasses. But we didn't know what the glasses were. So I would just buy a big box of glasses and then we get to set. It's like, here you go, Dave, dive in and, and go crazy. And then he put on all these different glasses and you never knew what he was going to do or how he was going to play with them. Like the glasses with the, the springs on them. He just totally brings that to life and starts doing all this goofy stuff. And there was a bunch of scenes like he was going off. We had a box of goodies and he had whoopee cushions and so many things. And then when you get to the editing room, I have to decide which ones do I like the best? What's the most effective? And we can't be there forever. The movie's long enough. I mean, I would have had him there for another 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. if I could, but yeah. So, and the laundromat, I remember the day I called him up. I was delivering flowers at the time and uh, getting, I get most of my ideas just driving around 
And it's just like, it's hypnotic to me. And I said, I love art being in a costume, starting out clean and then getting bloody. I like the progression from the, his victims. And I said, but unfortunately, here we are. He's drenched. I said, how do I get him clean again? And I said, do we just have him get another costume? Is this a specific costume just to him? And then I'm just thinking outside the box and what could art do that's different from other slashers? And we already got Dave naked in part one. So I said he wouldn't <laughs> He'd be fearless again. I, I, so I, said, I said, let's just have him just walk into a laundromat and just strip down. And he's like, he's just going to hang out there. He's just going to hang out. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. The best thing about that too, was that night. Cause we're filming me coming into the laundromat and people, it was out in the middle of New Jersey. And we had me walking across the street going in people on their way to work. Well, I'm sitting there half naked and a cop car pulls up and, and I'm like, Oh no. Oh no! Oh no. my god! Oh no! And she comes in and she's like, "Yeah." And Damien's like, "Hey, Dave, why don't you just co- totally go and just screw with the cop?" I'm like, "Uh, uh-uh, uh, no, 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 no." But she, she's like, "So I, we have a report that there was a bloody clown walking in here," and I just like kind of lean forward with this no- newspaper like covering up my junk and everything like that. I'm like, "Hi." Oh, that's <laughs> like, hilarious! Was a lot of that like, stuff like running gun stuff, or did you have to get like permits to shoot the laundromat and all that kind of stuff? What did you do? God. I mean, we had permission to shoot in the laundromat, yeah. but we didn't have permission to shut down the street outside, yeah. right? Yeah. So there's that, that was know, pure gorilla. Yeah, totally very gorilla. So when yeah. he would have to just keep walking in and in and out, you know, yeah. just crossing the street and traffic's going by, and he's just on the other side of the street. So that was hysterical. When the cops came by, you saw the cop drive by once, disappear, <laughs> drive by again, and then the lights come on and they fall. Yeah, here we go. Here we go. Like, oh no. So I bet they oh, no. thought they were filming a different kind of movie. Yeah, exactly. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> she was not expecting to see me like this naked bald clown there with this bullet hit yeah. back of my head and all that blood all over me. Uh, I, I was already miserable enough because it was freezing cold in there. I was, oh my God, I was just going over to the lights trying to keep warm most of the time. It was an overnight shoot. So we saved you naked to like the last couple of shots. Yeah. And the sun was starting to come up and traffic is getting really busy. So, uh, you know, they're just the cars are really starting to go by and they're really stopping and looking and seeing him totally. <laughs> oh, yeah. my God. I, I got a few car honks. You know, like, <laughs> beep, beep. I'm like, oh, God, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, uh, Damien, so uh, Damien, so your two newcomer, uh, you know, uh, leads here, Lauren Laverna as Sienna and uh, Elliot Fulham as Jonathan, are spectacular in this, man. Uh, they're uh, just, you know, there's great chemistry in the writing. You just, you would just believe that they love one another as brother and sister. Like they've been through something, but, you know, they really do care for one another. How did you, how did you find them two? Oh, just uh, auditions. Yeah. And as soon as I saw the both of them, there was never there was never a runner up, especially for Sienna. The only reason Jonathan, you know, played by Elliot Fulham, came down to two people only because I thought Jonathan originally I expected Jonathan to be younger, much younger. And I had to just convince myself, no, he doesn't have to. He could be he could be an older character. It was just something I was I was stuck on. But those were just from an acting standpoint, performance and charisma. Those were the two that I immediately wanted, especially Lauren. I mean, she just checked every box that I was looking for. And yeah, I mean, as far as writing them, it was just there's a lot of, you know, CN is based on my two sisters and a, and a little bit of me. 
But so there's a lot of personal things that I drew upon to, to flesh them out. And, and even, and Jonathan is basically me. I mean, that was me growing up. I was obsessed with horror, obsessed, still am. So uh, very, if it came across as real, I mean, that's, it was coming from some real vulnerable places. Yeah. What are some of the films that made you fall in love with the horror genre? I mean, Jaws is one of the first movies ever that I saw. I've been, it's been my favorite movie ever since. The Lost Boys is one of my favorites. But uh, as far as slashers, um, I've been watching the, the, the main slashers since I'm literally four, four years old, five years old. My mother was just was insane. She would just let me watch these movies. Uh, she had faith in me that I wasn't going to turn into a, a real maniac, maybe a filmmaking maniac. But uh, yeah, I just I don't know why I gravitated toward monsters and slashers so much but i was obsessed with them the way other kids are obsessed with superheroes or you know sports figures so i really got to thank her for it and she named me after the omen so it was all yeah, that's, that's extraordinary that's pretty awesome it's <laughs> that. pretty awesome and david how about you man is there any, any know, uh... we kind of have like the opposite background when it comes to horror because especially with our moms because like his mom loved it my mom was terrified of him she thought the fall of the house of usher was the scariest movie she had ever seen in her life <laughs> so we did not watch horror films maybe my dad would watch them late at night on sci-fi when everybody else had gone to bed but we didn't watch horror films in my house so I did, I mean, I had seen all the ads and everything like that on TV growing up in the 80s, because I mean, that was like the best time to grow up as a kid. Oh, my God. So I knew who Freddy Krueger was and stuff like that. And I was even drawn to him then because I was like, oh, my God, this guy's freaky cool, you know, because you saw him everywhere in the 80s. Even in, like I would go to like get shoes that they had Freddy Krueger stuff in the shoe store. So, I mean, I already liked Freddy then. I just wasn't allowed to see his movies. But um, what got me into him originally was uh, my senior high school, my cast from a, a Christmas Carol that I was in, went to go see Scream 2 when it came out. And there was a girl in the cast I had a crush on, and she asked me if I was going to go. I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going, I'm going. Yeah, sure, 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 sure. It's like, I can't chicken out from her. So I went, and I, I loved it. I freaking loved it. I was like, oh, my God, now I had to go see the original and Scream. So I did that immediately afterwards. And like the next year in um, college, that's when my roommate and I would, cause he came from a pretty uh, strict like Christian family too. So he didn't really watch a, a lot of horror movies. I'm from Alabama originally. So that explains a lot, but, um, but we would go every weekend and just rent stacks of tapes from the local movie gallery and just watch all these movies. So like every weekend we would have a different um, series that we'd watch. So like one weekend it was you know, all the nightmare on Elm street movies. Another weekend was all the Halloween movies. And so that's when I really started loving them. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I knew as a kid, Freddie was a favorite. I was like, this guy's, there's something about this character. There's this, this, you know, scary charisma about him. So I was drawn to Freddie from the get go. Would you say that uh, the eighties was a decade that produced the best horror films? As far as you're concerned, what would you what would you say would be the? I, I would say seventies through the eighties because yeah. you know a lot of that started in the seventies with like Texas Chainsaw Massacre mm -hmm. and Halloween, which are great, but it all went into the eighties. So the, I, I kind of look at the seventies and eighties as like one big, huge, giant decade of awesomeness for horror, yeah, especially yeah. slashers. Yeah, I think the seventies is the greatest era of film in general. Mm -hmm. So definitely horror. My favorite horror movies are from the seventies. I don't get me wrong. I, I absolutely love eighties horror movies. Absolutely, they're, they're this they're so close. But I mean, movies like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Halloween, The Exorcist, even like late sixties going into the seventies. Rosemary's mm -hmm. Baby is one of my favorite movies of all time. So uh, love love that decade. Love that decade. 
well, let's talk a little bit about just the origins of Art the Clown before we get any further. How did you come up with Art? And I mean, he's one of the most recognized faces in the whole genre right now, as well as the storyline and kind of the idea that eventually became the first film. Yeah, it wasn't as if all of a sudden a light bulb went off and it was like, boom, there's there's Art the Clown. It was actually a kind of slow progression, especially to where he is now. I created this character back in 2005, I think. I, I lose track of time, but it was from my first short film. And I decided I didn't want to go to film school anymore. I was just going to make something that was going to be my calling card that I could just hopefully put into festivals. Somebody would notice it, come knocking on my door. Okay, so I said, how am I going to grab people's attention? I'll just make this short sort of 10 minute piece packed out with creatures, demons, really intense, very visual. Uh, and I said, and I thought about this the other day. This is very, cause people ask me this question a lot. And one of the things I came up with for the story that arts in is at the time, my mother was commuting to work and she'd have to walk to the bus and then take a train to and fro every day. And, Two days, I'll never forget, this guy started following her and she was getting really nervous. And I remember her specifically telling me uh, how she would like put her keys in her knuckles in case she had to like, you know, punch this guy in the face or something like that. Thank God nothing ever came of it. But I remember her specifically being afraid of that. And this was months before I started writing this. So I always had that idea in my mind. And I also loved this Twilight Zone episode called Mirror Image that takes place in a bus station in the middle of the night. And this doppelganger is just messing with this woman, uh, her doppelganger. So obviously I didn't use that, but I liked the atmosphere of that bus station and this creepy story with my mother. I said, I'll start my short film with that, but now who's the antagonist who comes on and messes with her. I don't like dealing with just human monsters. I like more outlandish monsters and the slashers, more iconic looking things. So I said, I love clowns. And I think this guy, I could do something with a clown that's kind of creepy that I haven't quite seen other people do. So that's where the, the genesis for the, the, the story came from. And then his look, I wanted him to be as opposite from Tim Curry's Pennywise as possible because I love that character. He's the king, still arguably the king. And I said, if we're going to, if I'm going to mess around in that sandbox or whatever, I can't go anywhere near that character. So I'm not, he's not going to be colorful. He's not going to speak, you know, art uses weapons. Pennywise doesn't. So a big part of that comes from a thank you to Tim Curry's Pennywise. That's why art's so different. And how did you find that David's interpretation of art has informed the character in your mind kind of moving forward after the first film and, and decisions that he's made that kind of are baked now into the DNA of this character that might've not existed before. Oh, absolutely. He totally, it did not exist. He's very, Dave's very theatrical, very animated. I mean, he's, he, he has so many influences. He'll go on and tell you, but I see a lot of Jim Carrey as well. in a lot of movements Dave does. And the first time I noticed that was when we were filming the pizzeria scene and I didn't give him, I don't, I never gave him direction as to just how to like walk through a scene or anything like that. I'll give him specific direction sometimes with like a beat, a face I want him to make here or something like that. But all those little mannerisms, those little idiosyncrasies that he does in between every other movement, that that's, that's Dave. So when the first time I saw that was when he gives Jenna, uh, Jenna Canelo played Tara, the ring in the pizzeria mm -hmm. and then he gets up and skips away like a total clown. And I'll never forget watching. And I said, you know, originally this character, I had him played very stoic and very straight. He was just a guy dressed as a clown. He wasn't necessarily a clown. I said, now Dave's making this character 
a clown. And I said, you know what? I like that. We'll inject a lot more of that into the character. It won't go so over the top where that's him 24-7, but now we can draw from that and I can have him play both. And we'll kind of conduct it as we go. But there's a lot you could talk about, Dave, for sure. Yeah, Dave. Oh, yeah. Let's let's talk about Dave. I guess just your your audition process to become art to begin with. What you wanted mm-hmm. to put into your portrayal in that audition and into that first film. Yeah, my my audition was interesting because I had to improvise my audition on the spot, which I was not expecting. I, I'm so used to having a script and everything like that. I walk into the room and everybody else has got scripts there in the, the holding room. And I'm like, oh, no, this is my first big, huge film role audition. And I am unprepared. And they call me into the room and... I'm like, I am so sorry. I never got a script. And they're like, oh, don't worry about it. You don't need one. Art never talks. So I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, great, cool. So what do I do? And they're like, yeah, just come up with a scene where you're, you're very happy about decapitating a guy and go. And that, that whole audition is online somewhere now where you can see it. But that's, I, I just turned off my brain and let whatever happened happen. And thank God I did that because I wouldn't be where I am today. But yeah, that's, that's, but like it, he was touching on is like, I, I wanted to bring my own little flair to art while also building upon what uh, Mike Gianelli, who was original art, the clown in a hall, Hallow's Eve. I want to, I want to still stay true to what he had originally brought to the character, but just flesh him out more. And that was my thing is my, my background is in doing a lot of physical comedy. I, I grew up doing that for years just doing uh, children's theater in my hometown of Huntsville. And I was like, and of course my, I did those five years on tour with how the Grinch stole Christmas, the musical. And I was the understudy for the wonderfully talented Stephen Carl, who was Robbie Rotten from the show lazy town. And so I, I had a master's class with a, a just a, a wizard in physical comedy for five years. So that was very fresh in my brain at the time too. And so I, I just wanted to bring a lot what I learned from Stefan and also my own life experiences to art because I thought, you know, he, he's a clown. Let's build upon that idea because you're, that's something you have. You know, I mean, you've had other killer clowns in movies before, but you haven't had a silent one. And I wanted to bring that more of that silent clown type of vibe to the character, kind of like Harpo Marx mm-hmm. or like, you know, Mr. Bean or something like that. And so... And I, and I always wanted to have a chance to play a character like that, too. I mean, I was obsessed with Mr. Bean as a child. I would watch his videos over and over and over and over and over. And I'd always wanted to play a character like that. And I was like, well, heck, this is my chance. But I get to do my own thing with it. And I get to play a very murderous Mr. Bean-like character. <laughs> yeah. like, how does it like, f- I love this. How does it feel when you get all that art regalia and the prosthetics on? How does it change your approach to that character? It, it just makes it easier. It just, it, it's, that's how I've always been as an actor. Once I'm in the costume, I can just turn the character on and off as like a, as, as like a switch. It just, it's like putting on a second skin, especially coming into part two, like part one, I was still kind of discovering the nuances of the character and part two, I'm like, okay, I understand it completely now. So that was just like slipping into an old pair of shoes again. I'm like, ah, this is easy. I know what I'm doing. But Dave, I also want to do some new things with him, too, because I figured, oh, this guy's back from the dead, and he wasn't expected to come back from the dead. And now he's like, oh, wow, I'm harder to kill. So he's going to have a new, like, layer of confidence and yeah, arrogance to swagger, what he's doing. Right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I want to add that more to the character this time around. 
since you mentioned nuance there, your performances are really relies a lot on the nuances of the movements of your eyes, your facial expressions, mm-hmm. especially your, your smile, your teeth and all that. Oh. How did that come about? Did you guys figure that out on, uh, you know, as you started production shooting or is that something that you auditioned with uh, Damien and showed him, Hey, this is what I could do with this smile. This is what I could do with these, this eye roll. I, I think I kind of did a lot of that just in my audition without realizing it. It's just, that's one of those things I'm just so used to doing on stage because there's the difference between stage acting and film acting is with stage acting. You have to perform to the, the last row in the audience. So you you're, I'm used to making big grand gestures and usually for film, they're telling you to tamp all of that mm-hmm. down because the camera catches the smallest movements, but clowns are always a little bit more exaggerated than everything. So I was able to do that. So it just naturally lent itself to the character, I think. Do you have a favorite, both of you, kill scene from one and two? I'll let you start, Damien. Yeah, well, part one, it's, it's certainly the uh, hacksaw scene. Uh, and part two, it is the alley kill, which is how we tried to rival or come close to the hacksaw scene. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. I, I, I want to talk about the alley scene <laughs> in detail in a little bit. But first, going back to that hacksaw scene i mean that that has become internet lore there's been did you guys see that the, the person who did the um the scooby-doo artwork this guy steve mcginnis oh, did the, the scooby our, <laughs> the best. We, work, we work with him constantly he does our yep. books yeah steve's the best oh it's fantastic <laughs> it's because of that it's because of that scooby-doo thing because i when i first saw that i i was about to start doing conventions and i was like i love this because i'm a huge cartoon buff I am obsessed with animation and I would, that and Scooby-Doo is one of my lifelong favorite things. So I was like, I, I personally reached out to him. I was like, please, can I please bring this to conventions with me? And we just struck up a friendship after that and just segued into him doing a graphic novel. I just wanted to go back to one of my favorite things is I saw this elf on the shelf scene of <laughs> oh, Art <yes>. the Clown <laughs> with the hacksaw. <laughs> And I, that was like, that made my Christmas right there. I was so excited. The fans are very creative and sadistic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love it. That that was Carrie, wasn't it? Was it? Did she do that part? I think, yeah, because Carrie would do, for like, for at least two or three years there, she would like almost every single day do a different kill scene with the elf on the shelf with art. That's great. And it's, it's, it's one of the highlights of the year for me when she does this stuff. I just love it. That's fascinating, guys. Okay, we're going to get to more Terrifier 2 stuff in the same way. I just wanted to cap off the hacksaw thing because, you know, our listeners have never had the opportunity of hearing you guys talk about it on our show. So, I mean, Damien, just briefly, if you could just talk about coming up with that idea, explaining it to the actress, and then David actually executing that idea. Yeah. Well, that was where such a low-budget film, how are we going to stand out amongst Hollywood horror movies? What could we show them that they would never show them? Mm. So I was investigating medieval torture techniques and i came upon i came across this one that i don't know whether it's real or not if it's myth but uh, apparently they would hang you upside down and there would be a gigantic saw that would sh- like cut down trees it'd be a guy on each end and they would just start sawing you in half oh, and no. apparently you were alive for quite some time because you weren't hitting any organs yet and the blood had drained to your lower so who knows horrifying the worst way you could imagine and i i said i've never seen that before and i've seen a lot of slasher movies so if we can pull that off in some way i think people will talk about that and then I always say MVP, Dave and I both say it, Catherine Corcoran. Mm-hmm. That scene does not exist, would never work without her, without her performance. 
And there's no real trickery. I mean, what you see is what's happening. We really hung her upside down by her ankles from that bar. And she could only film for 45 seconds at a time. The blood would rush to her head. She'd start getting really dizzy. <clears throat> so we had to be like a well oiled machine and really get in there, do whatever kind of effect we had to do, spray blood and get out of there and get her back back uh, you know, on her butt or whatever. So that was really intense. It was a very intense day of shooting. Uh, not a lot of fun to be had. A very cold, dingy environment. It was an abandoned building in, I think, December. So it was, it was tough. But uh, when I first met Catherine after the audition, she read the script and we met for coffee to discuss it. To her credit, she said, look, if you, I will do this however you want to do it. But if we're going to do it, it's got to be done right. It's got to be done great. This has to be the most talked about thing ever. And we have to go all in. And I said, all right, music to my ears. That's where I'm coming from. So we're going to do it. And literally, literally yesterday, somebody got like the seventh tattoo I've ever seen of her on her, like her upside down, cut in half. People are getting her tattooed. Uh, it's wild. <laughs> Legend. It's <so> <laughs> Legend. And David, yeah. from your perspective, what was that scene like to execute? Oh, gosh. I was, I was, very, I'm such a papa bear on these sets. I, it's probably oh, wow. weird to people <laughs> because here, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm always so That's worried weird. about everybody's comfort and wow. if they're okay and I'm not hurting them. I, I don't, I, it's, it's, it's gotta be weird for them when I'm in one second on top of them stabbing away and they say cut and I'm like, Oh my God, are you okay? Right. <laughs> well, cause you're so vicious. Like the way you yeah. portray art yeah. is so God, I don't give a yeah. shit. It's just maniacal. Right. Oh my gosh. Uh, that, that's, that's how I was the whole entire film. film that because i'm like i i knew what a compromising position she was in and how cold and miserable that was in that room that night too because it was like 20 degrees that night and she's i mean i was cold she's naked and covered in blood so i know that had been miserable and she's in a room full of guys very exposed like that too and i that that was the main thing on my mind was making sure that she was comfortable and she 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 could do what she needed to do i that that this was her moment to shine. So I just want to make sure we got through everything we needed to do. And so my moment of fun was when I had the prosthetic to actually saw through. So I was like, okay, there's, mm -hmm. there's no problems here, but let, let's make sure Catherine's good. So I was, I, that's probably the one time I was not joking around on set because I just knew how extremely vulnerable she was and how dangerous of a stunt that was that we were doing. Mm -hmm. So we'll get into Terrifier 2. So this film really does invoke a lot of the magic of movies like Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors, and even Goonies in terms of like the dynamics of the battle of pure innocence versus the epitome of evil, right? And it's centered yes. around Sienna and her little brother John as they face off against art. So Damien, I guess just how did the story end up getting to this place? Why was this the next logical step for you in the evolution of art's tale? I've had the character of Sienna in my mind for about 15 years. Wow. Something like yeah, for real. I've always wanted to have this strong female Valkyrie character. Uh, a lot of it comes from my love as a kid of Red Sonia. Mm -hmm. the original yeah, 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 yeah. So <clears throat> I love fantasy movies like Sword and Sandal, Sword and Sorcery, fantasy 80s movies, almost as much as horror movies when I was a kid. So Beastmaster, Conan, those were all in the same merry-go-round of movies I would just watch all the time. So, I mean, to put those characters together is just so striking to me. I wanted to sort of put our final girl up on a pedestal now, just where we put art on the pedestal in the first one and make her a really striking visual character. 
but then make her also very fleshed out and three-dimensional, someone you can relate to. I mean, if you've seen the poster to oh, yeah. Terrifier, Terrifier 2, you know, what you see is literally what you get. I mean, this movie literally turns into a battle between an angel and a demon. And, and just, I, I love myth and I love religious, putting those religious overtones. I mean, it's all there. But to now put that element into a slasher movie, to me, felt so bizarre and fresh and it could be something really interesting so it was exciting to me especially exciting to see how the sienna character would start as this vulnerable innocent girl with this sort of traumatic past and just transcend into this you know this divine super being you know that to me that was super exciting and art was you know on the opposite side of that coin going on the same journey the same trajectory but he was the evil and seeing these two forces come together it was just a story I wanted to tell in this, with this character. The design of Sienna's main warrior costume she dons is <laughs> extraordinary. Uh, tell yes. us about the conception of the design and if there were any challenges to bring it to life. <laughs> challenges. It was one of the most, cha- believe it or not, one of the most challenging things on set. And right now my costume designer, Olga, when she sees this, she's going to, cry laughing or just cry from <laughs> trauma the trauma but uh i had i mean so i designed i pretty much designed that if you look at the poster of the movie it's not quite the same as it is in uh in the movie itself but i that was pretty much my design and then we just refined it and i had uh olga my costume designer and jackie hair and makeup we all collaborated on it and the one thing I did not think of that I loved was they said, you know, we could even incorporate uh, uh, like a Viking hairstyle on her. Cause I don't, I'm not really thinking of it, uh, of it so much in like a woman's perspective where they're thinking about makeup and the hair. So we'll give her a whole new Viking hairdo and we could even do, um, you know, battle makeup. And I was like, Oh, that's amazing. You know? I mean, after that I designed like what the battle, the the makeup would be and things, but it was like their, their idea. So it was very collaborative. Even my partner, Phil Falcone, we were all coming up with little designs, just little things to incorporate into the, the costume. So that was, that was fun, but building it, we hired someone to come in and build it. Cause I'd never built a costume or anything before. And you know, the clock was just ticking and we were getting closer and closer to the shoot. And this thing was just not ready. And then, we had to just jump in and shoot. The person could never finish the skirt and that person just left the project. So we sort of had like half a finished costume. Oh, wow. We had to figure it out on the first day and then the first day of shooting jumped to the end of the movie, jumped into Sienna walking into the carnival. And so the, if you notice in that scene, like it's not even glossy yet. We didn't even like show, you know, make the costume, put a gloss on it or anything like that. So that was just that costume. And it was built out of, like PVC. And I was like, Oh my God, I needed that guy to build two costumes. Cause I knew when, once she throws down with art, that costume was going to fall apart. <laughs> yeah. Right. I'm like, what, what do we do? Like we can't move in this costume. It's so fragile. So then we were scrambling in the middle of shooting and me and my producer had to figure out how to build a rubber costume, sort of like the Batman. Yeah. Suit. Right. Right. So we had to mold every piece of her one PVC costume and, and find out what material to use and make her a replica rubber costume. So that was just one of the millions of curveballs that we were thrown 
that just made this movie take three years to make, you know, like that just like just stopping figuring out how to build a second costume out of rubber was, was wild. But you know, it's fun to talk about now. This is wonderful. I have to say it was a pain at times because we'll be doing the fight scenes, especially the one in the bathroom and like every take pieces of it were falling apart, especially the wings and spikes and stuff. Everything was just like, Oh, oh God, now we got to assemble it again. It's like, it was basically held together. Like, wire and duct tape wow like in between takes it's bring on the duct tape taper the leg back on wow what's left of it now yeah who who end up walking away with that (laughs) and the sword who who's got that sword man that's beautiful yeah we have they're in bins in uh in the barn that we uh, shot this movie and they're locked away uh for now uh, I don't want to look at them anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> Especially Lauren does not want to look at that thing. I think oh, we'll, t- we'll take them off your hands. Yeah. <laughs> well, David, what did it? What was it like to kind of face off against a duo who kind of brought so much energy as performers with the Sienna and her, and her little brother? How did it inform you playing the character this time? How did it up the oh, ante yeah. for you? I loved it. It was fun. I mean, it, even though it, it would, it it was also a pain to do at times because it, we, these were long days. I mean, this this whole entire climax of the film was a beast to film in itself. Is there the the fright factory in Philadelphia, and that was in the winter too, so it was cold there. So like, there were times where we, we were we were miserable and cold and tired, but we at the same time we were having fun once we were actually doing what we were doing. So it, it, was, it was it was great. It was great because I've I've never really gotten to do those kind of fight scenes before. I mean, I had a little bit of that in the first film, you know, where uh, terror starts really attacking with uh, the plywood and stuff like that. But boys, like we actually brought in you know a fight choreographer for some of it and stuff like that, and it, I, I I got to do some really fun things I, I was excited i i had a blast yeah art really gets to meet his match which is great leo yes. you had a question man Go yeah man. david in this, in this film there's just there's so many kills in this film man there's so much blood i think people are gonna be shocked at how much gore yes. and how many kills there are in this film i gotta know i mean out of all the kills in this film which was the most challenging to to pull off It's Trevor here. Just wanted to cut in with a spoiler alert. This is a pretty big spoiler alert. I think for the rest of this conversation, <laughs> there's spoilers flying left and right. So if you have not seen Terrifier 2, you might want to stop now. Come back to this after you have. If you don't care, let it play on and get bloody. Oh, definitely. That would be the alley kill. That was that was a beast in itself. And that's a fun story behind that one, too, because we started filming that right before the pandemic put us in lockdown here in New York. We were upstate filming that and we had to put off filming the rest of it because Damien had to build the prosthetics for it. But we, we filmed out like the first beginnings of me, like, you know, running into the room and throwing her on the bed. But then the pandemic happened and. We're like, well, crap, we don't know how long we're going to have until we can actually start filming again. And Damien took that as a an, an opportunity instead of a setback. And so it's like, well, I have all this time now to actually flesh out this kill even more because now we're not rushed. So he <laughs> went back to the drawing board and just adding and adding added so much more to this kill because like, he had all this time to build his, all these prosthetics yeah. for this. And it's like it was originally just supposed to take us two days to film it. It We, we just went back to the drawing board. Which, even the stuff we had originally started filming it 
we scrapped, even though that would have been perfectly satisfactory for the kill. But like, we were like, no, let's just do this up big. If we're going to go, if we're going to go far with this, then we got to go all the way. And so we did. And it, it took about a week to film this. And I'm I have to hand it to Casey who played Allie in this mm. scene because uh, wow. I mean, Casey is one of the sweetest, kindest, most quiet reserved people. And she, every single night was gung ho about this scene, just going full throttle, screaming, just, I mean, she was covered in so much blood. She literally got stuck to the floor one night. Wow. Yeah. I believe it. <laughs> it's just, I mean, she's the MVP of this film when it comes to the, the kill scene, like how Catherine was. This, I was like, she just went um, above and beyond for this. And I also have to say that the, 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 the prosthetic work that Damien did for this was unbelievable, especially the animatronic version of her where she's all flayed and skinned and everything like that. I, that when I walked in the room and saw that thing set up and then all of a sudden it moved, I almost crapped my pants out of glee. I was like, Oh my God, this is amazing. And it was just so simple too, but it was just so effective. I was like, I was, I was Oh, I loved it. Cause I, I, I love practical effects like that. that. It reminded me of something from like Jimmy Henson or, or like, you know, American Werewolf in London, that just kind of prosthetic work. And I was I was just so happy that we were doing something like that. So you're talking about the scene where she's on the bed kind of calling her mom. That's that's yes. a, that's actually an animatronic puppet yes. that we're seeing. Oh wow. Oh my gosh. Tell us about long, tell us about making that scene. Yeah, how long did it take? It took it took weeks, maybe longer. I don't I don't remember. I don't, I'm trying to forget. <laughs> <laughs> No, again, that, that was, we knew again, that was, whereas Catherine's body that we had a head to toe make for the hacksaw scene, I said, this was going to be the big set piece for this movie. I wanted to create a body where it, you knew in the movie, hopefully you knew that this couldn't be a real actor anymore. Like you saw it and you're like, well, that's a dumb, like I wanted them to say, well, that's a dummy. And then, cause then when it wakes up, I wanted it to shock the audience. Yeah. Like, oh my yeah. God. It's yeah, talking, it it's moving, it's mouth is moving, it's kind of, <laughs> the brain is exposed. Yeah. I mean, and very, like he said, it's very crude, very primitive uh, mechanics. It's not mechanical, it's all rod puppets and like strings and pulley things um, because I don't know how to do animatronics. So that was me and my producer, Phil, trying to just figure that stuff out, figure it out, figure out how to get this puppet to move. Um, but that was, that was fun. And I knew uh, a lot of things I did in this one after making the first one was how to utilize subtle VFX to enhance my practicals. So what we do is I'd like put Casey, I'd lock off my camera, say of that puppet. And then I'd put Casey, the, the real actress in the exact position with like blood on her face, blood on her eye. And then mm -hmm. I could digitally put her real eyeball onto the puppet and have oh. it open. Eye. And like little things like that, just to you know make it way more realistic than it could ever be with an actual, just full on animatronic. So we did that a lot throughout the movie, just to try and give life to some of these props. Uh, and it worked. It worked pretty, pretty effectively for the most part. Definitely. So I wanted to ask, I've seen clips of, uh, you know, behind the scene footage and like uh, whatnot. Anyone who gets a kill in one of these movies, it looks like there's a process. They get coated in this green goop and they kind of go through this prosthetic oh, yes. process. So tell us a bit about that process that they have to endure to get these elements to bring these scenes to life. Yeah, I mean, that's just a classic traditional life cast that you do with silicone. 
So, yeah, you have to just put the silicone over their entire head. They can only breathe through their nostrils for the most part. It's, it solidifies into a rubber consistency um, pretty quickly. And then you have to coat that all in plaster bandages, which is the stuff. <laughs> you know, if, you break a, if you break a bone, it's like what they'll uh, make a cast out of. And that becomes the support shell. So we did that to every every actor. I mean, that we had mm-hmm. to make a dummy to then just destroy their face. I mean, everybody had to everybody had to go through it because one of Art's favorite pastimes is mutilating faces. Yeah, exactly. How long <laughs> does that take to sit under all that goop and have those molds made? It could be anywhere from a, for a full head cast could be uh, forty minutes. So wow. you really have to go into some sort of zen state. Everybody's yeah. pretty good with it. I had one person. In my entire, I've, I've casted, boy, probably like 60 people, 60 heads. I've had one person uh, freak out, but they still managed to you know, regain their uh, control and, sure. and sit. Typically, people are pretty cool with it. Yeah, I would imagine, like, if you're claustrophobic, that is not what you want to go through. I'd be the one that would freak out. It sounds like an art kill to me. Yeah, exactly. It it, it is very claustrophobic. I can attest for that. It's just like, what what I was really surprised is how, like, the air pressure builds up in your ears and that, too, which is like, that, that was what was driving me nuts when I was in there. I was like, oh, God. But I'm like, I talked it out. So it's like. That's what you just got to do. It's like, okay, just got to go into the Zen place in your mind and yeah. just try to tune it all out. And, you know, yeah. if I could real quick, just go back to talking about Casey and that kill scene. Yes. Yes, please. Because again, in this scene, if the effects were great, you know, I, that, that means the world, but I mean, everything could have just fell flat if she didn't deliver a mm-hmm. believable performance. Mm-hmm. And I got to say, when you audition actors and actresses, and you need for a horror movie specifically, and you need to see how they are under stress and how far can they go and, uh, and scream, how loud, how much can they let themselves go? Especially in an audition when you're first meeting them, it's not the same as being on set. They can't get to that place. And a lot of times actors are afraid to go that far. They think they look foolish and things like that. And I'm always telling them, no, no, you have to go higher. You have to go bigger. Trust me, trust me. I'm, you're at a six. I need you to be an 11. I give that note constantly. It's just very hard to get actors there. And in her audition, I had her scream and she was good. But once she got in that room and she was in that situation and she was on that bed and he's doing his thing, I mean, she really cranked it up to where I needed her to be. And she was there all five days. It was five days of shooting that. that Mm -hmm. I mean, and, you know, so she gets the every right to complain award. That's what I. <laughs> that's what I she, did not, she did not. I mean, she was an ultimate pleasure and professional. Mm-hmm. Too. So oh, very, lucky. Yeah. very lucky. No, yeah. she, she did incredible. She did incredible. I remember the Indiegogo campaign. <clears throat> sorry, that was launched to help make this film possible. Talk a bit about the outreach from fans and how their support played an important role in bringing this film to life. Huge. It brought it to a whole another level. I, I still, I did not think I set the goal at about $50,000, I believe. And it was for the clown cafe dream sequence, which scene. is outstanding. Oh my, gosh, oh my God. There's a sequence where you've got pyrotechnic work, yeah. triggered prosthetics. It looks like squibs, tons of performers, music, like kids, <laughs> the list goes on, right? number <laughs> we didn't know that was going uh yeah that was a wild that was a wild scene that was we knew that was going to be another big scene that we had to be on our a game for because like you said we had now 
stunt teams coming in and pyrotechnics and there had to be fire trucks and ambulances. I mean, this was a big deal. We had a lot of people, so we could not mess around. Everything had to be timed perfectly for that. Um, How many times did you shoot it? Oh, yeah. I think two days maybe only. No, yeah. It was like a a whole week, basically. It was Was the week before we went to lockdown with COVID. Wow. See, I don't don't even remember. Yeah. But it, it was this. That's what was so funny about this, because this was like the scene that we were stressing out over the most because there were so many moving parts to it. So many things that could go wrong. And the whole entire time, like, oh, God, because we had all we had all the the Indiegogo backers coming in that were, you know, playing characters in the scene, too. So we're like, oh, God, we got to have everything flowing right. And this was like the one week where everything just flowed so well. It was it was probably one of the most fun weeks we had filming this whole entire time. And I think part of that was having the Indiegogo backers there with us. So they were in there actually getting killed as part of their reward. That's amazing. (laughs) We we had to tell them sometimes to not smile while they were getting (laughs) killed because they were so excited, but it was all all the patrons, everybody online for the food truck was all the Indiegogo. You know, oh that's wow yeah. But yeah, that's what i we, you were asking about the indiegogo campaign and setting it at 50 grand and then literally in less than 24 hours we almost hit like a quarter of a million dollars that was that was a huge eye-opener that was when i said oh okay maybe we have something special here something a little bigger than even i'm aware of and again that is the fans literally mean everything to us and it's one of the reasons why i don't compromise anything because i'm really just making this for them the people who have been with us since the beginning and just the hardcore fans who i know love the violence and they want us to up these things and they want us to keep showing them things that they don't get in other horror movies so i never wanted to compromise that vision and the same with my cast and crew like they really believed in me and and what i was doing and it never became an issue there was so much faith and it was really because we just wanted to deliver that for the fans it's one of the reasons why the movie took so long to make because with the resources we had and how ambitious the project was it just took an insane amount of work i mean we were just a really small group of people it was not a big crew whatsoever so it just took a lot of work and a lot of time but the boo crew will be right back the eternal sea he rises creating armies on either shore turning man against his brother till man exists no more for everything known, there is something unknown. For every blessing, there is a curse. This is not a human child. For everything holy, there is something unholy. For every evil, there is an omen. 20th Century Fox presents The Omen, starring Gregory Peck and Lee Remick. I need to see a psychiatrist. I have fears. What kind of fears? It is a mystery beyond human solution. It is suspense beyond human tolerance. It is a warning mankind has feared for thousands of years. It is the omen. Rated R. Under 17, not admitted without parent. You have been warned.
Leo, you yeah. had a question. Uh, Damien, that, that scene, man, with uh, Leah Voicey uh, playing the clown cafe host, uh, singing that song, man. I mean, that song is so campy, so funny, and fucking terrifying at the same time. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> who, did you did you write that? It was, it was part of the script. I, who wrote that song? Absolutely. Uh, that. I, I've known these uh, two talented brothers, John and Al Kaplan. Um, they're writers, songwriters, they're film writers. They made, uh, they wrote the movie Zombievers. I don't know if you ever. Oh yeah, that. yeah, yeah. <laughs> love that movie. Yeah. <laughs> that movie. They had an off Broadway uh, Silence of the Lambs parody play maybe like ten years ago called Silence that was mm-hmm. really popular. They're it just great. super talented, and uh, yeah. <laughs> so they make great parody songs, and I knew that they'd kill this. And I just reached out to them and I said, guys, I need this sort of kid show jingle. Um, it's like, like 30 seconds or something. I was like, it just has to be for this little, little piece of this movie. Um, and it just has to, and they're like, well, what's going on in the scene? I told them, I was like, you know, it's just people lining up for a food truck or whatever. That was it. And literally like the next day they came back with that entire song. And when I heard it, I'm like, you have to be kidding me. This is one of the greatest (laughs) things I ever heard. And everybody who sees that scene, they curse me at the end because they're like, I can't get that fucking song out of my head. Like, Such an earworm. I mean, that is, that is all them. That is a testament to them. But then Leah came in and that's really Leah singing uh, that song. I and mean, she's phenomenal. So lucked out. A lot, a lot of talented people. And the great, the great Paul Wiley obviously is back doing the score on this. What was it like to kind of you know give him free reign to this new expanded world of of Terrifier? Always a blast. It's so easy to work with him, man. He just gets it. He has his own unique style. His sound right off the bat that I just love. It's it's very strong. It's very evil. He captures evil really really good. But there's just moments. There's specific scenes where all say can you make this track sound like specifically i remember for the alley kill scene Mm -hmm. because that's also sort of my little homage to the the first kill in the original suspiria just how that scene is so relentless and how he's stabbing her in the chest and he breaks the chest open and he's like stabbing her heart i'm just like i need to do that we need to go in that so i said can you give me some of this suspiria essence and if you listen i mean it's really there but at the end of the day it's still very much his so sometimes i'll give him little nuggets of inspiration for tracks that i love from all the horror movies but a lot of times one of my favorite tracks um i used it i loved it so much i used it twice um it's when sienna is being resurrected or being healed in mm-hmm. the uh, in the tank that track he didn't even write that for the movie he said dude this was like the movie was like locked it was like he goes, uh, by the way, I had this track that I forgot. He's like, do I send it to you? I'm not sure. But if you want to put it somewhere, he's like, just take a listen to it. And I was, I heard it. I was like, oh, my God, this is like the coolest thing I ever heard. I was like, I'm obsessed with it. I've listened to it for like an entire day straight. And I put it in two scenes. So he's just a really talented guy. Super easy mm-hmm. to work with. Uh, yeah, it's great. On that note, that that water tank, did you, was that something you had to build yourself? And did she actually have to go inside that and spend a lot of time inside? Yeah, that was another another one of those. Had that, It was like, that was Sienna's costume in that tank were the two craziest things for us to, to build. Originally, I wanted that tank to be a clear cylinder that just had no no top and no bottom. It just went through just the darkness of infinity, just an abyss. And we were trying to look and see if you can get those. And there were things that were similar in China, but we couldn't get it shipped here. And they cost thousands of dollars. And just, the, again, the clock's ticking. Like, how are we going to build this? And then we're reaching out to 
other companies that built fish tanks and aquariums, and they're just giving us prices that are astronomical. And of course, my producer, Phil, will tackle anything. He believes that we can do anything and he could build anything. And he's like, I'll build this fucking thing. He's like, what do we got to do? What are we doing? <laughs> I, just, I guarantee that's exactly what he said. <laughs> <laughs> and so I reconfigured it. I knew we couldn't figure out how to make this clear cylinder thing ourselves. So I said, I'll turn it into uh, like a Harry Houdini kind of water tank. Yeah, it'll be it'll be like a you know, fit in with the carnival and uh, that that could work. So we, we did that. And then it, has, it took forever to build that and figure out what to use and how it could hold that many gallons of water so that was scary but eventually we pulled it off and but she really had to go down there and she killed it that was tricky directing her while she was in there because you, you can so we'd have to figure out every beat outside of the tank and then she'd have to try and just do it within the 45 seconds or whatever that she could hold her breath and she nailed it i mean she stood down there for a long time she had to hit all these very specific beats and you know places to lock her eyes and things like that so, Lauren's just, I, I could go on for hours about how tremendously talented she is. She's, mm-hmm. she's something else. She really brought Sienna to life. It's one thing to have that character. And I, I had so much love for that character, just like, like I said, because it's based on a lot of people who are special to me in my life. But then to turn it over to her and to have her turn it into her own character and bring her own experiences and her own sensitivity and vulnerability, her own courage to it and flesh it out. You know, it's no longer mine. I was like, well, I, I step back now and it's mm-hmm. something else. And it's, it's, it's Lauren's interpretation of the character and I can enjoy it as a spectator almost, which is really wonderful. It's really magical. What yeah. scene did she audition with? Good question. I think it was, I think it was her speaking to Jonathan. I think I gave them two scenes. Her speaking to Jonathan when he comes in and asks her to fix the hat. Um, he starts yeah. talking about the sword. Um, then I think it's them with the sketchbook. And then I think it, it was probably something intense because then I need to see like her, her layers. I need to see her screaming and fighting and, you know, see if she can reach that level, which I knew she could because I saw her real things like that. Uh, but yeah, that was, that was it. Again, with her, it was a no brainer. I knew she was gonna, unless she was just a mean, terrible person, you know, and when I met her, mm-hmm. I mean, she pretty much had the ball just based on her wheel. So yeah. were there any Love kill that. scenes that were written that didn't make it into this one or ones that were too elaborate to pull off? No. We, had, we, we didn't, I wouldn't say kill scenes per se, but we did have some moments we couldn't get to mm-hmm. because of time constraints. We had like a whole, especially I don't want to give the whole entire gag away because we might use it in a future film, but there was a whole thing that I was going to do after I got shot with a shotgun. Oh yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and we had another moment um, where it was, it was one of our MacGyver. Well, actually we had two like MacGyver type moments in this. Like the first one was uh, when she impales me in the head with the, the rebar. Yep. He had spent all this time building something. So that rebar was going to stay in my head for a while. And it broke as soon as he was trying to put it onto my head. And we're like, oh, crap. We spent all, he had spent so much time coming up with this whole thing. And then it just snaps and breaks. And we're like, you got to be freaking kidding me. And we just put our heads together. And I'm like, well, why does, why does it have to stay in my head? Why doesn't she just go shink, shink and pull it out? And I just kind of fall back. And that's what we ended up doing. And the, but uh, probably one of my favorite moments like this is uh, the 
the beginning of the alley kill where with the broken window originally in the script i was supposed to be just coming through the window and coming right after her and that night when we we're filming they they opened up the box that the the breakaway glass was in and it was already broken oh and it's yeah. just like and it was late at night so we couldn't get a, a replacement yeah what are you gonna do yeah Oh boy, what's that? <laughs> yeah. And so Damien and I just put our heads together and we came up with that whole entire scene where I'm just in there in the kitchen. So I'd already broken through, so they made it look like I'd already come through, but I, I was just in the kitchen getting a glass of water and just making myself at home. That was not in the script at all. We came up with that on the fly that night and just filmed that. And that's one of my favorite moments in the movie because it's such a... It's, it's something you've never seen the killer do before. Right. And yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's such a genuine <laughs> moment, and I loved it. And I was like, oh, this is fun. Well, it's those, <laughs> it's those moments that, that I think people really, really makes them gravitate toward art because they can relate to him. And since part one, I love having him do things that you never see another slasher do, like taking a shit and rubbing <laughs> that on the wall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That makes him very human. And, and him drinking the water. Originally, I had the idea in between the alley kill, he was stop. Well, when he goes downstairs to get the bleach and the salt, I was going to have him just stop and just have a glass of water and just, you know, because he's getting tired. But then when this thing broke, I said, well, what the hell? Well, you know, we're screwed. There's no way he's going to break in now. And I said, well, clearly he's already in the house. And instead of having just a, cliche trope of him just popping up and scaring her i said you know he knows he's got her and him just walking in is going to paralyze her with fear and then we could just do all these wonderful art the clown moments where we can drag out the suspense and he's not even looking at her he knows she's there he knows she's watching and so so that was fun but that was a happy accident there's some happy accidents oh, and all such. Yeah. Like you said, it's so important that they're, they're vital in building arts character, this character yeah, that we yeah. love. Right. It's extraordinary. I wanted to ask about this might seem uh, trivial, but I love the way it looks. And I've always been curious about how you pull it off. Just the, the simple gag of the cat of nine tails and just whipping someone with it, the blood showing up on them and the ferocity of which you're, you're throwing this thing at people. How do you pull it off and make it look like it's actually happening and, and hurting like hell? It is. <laughs> <laughs> it, it really is. I, I found that out the hard way too. It's like because we don't use actual real blades, of course, on there, but we use a uh, rubber, pro like prosthetic blades and stuff like that. But like we put padding on the actors and stuff like that. But I'm actually hitting them. Wow! Oh, wow! And I and the, like when uh, Lauren takes it from me and starts, like, she she actually got me on the lip one night, and I was like, ooh, ooh. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> yeah, I bet I you like, can't really oh. control where that thing's going. I mean, when someone's no, and the, I was like, oh moment. my god, I feel so sorry for you know, especially Samantha in part one when I was having to whip her on the back. I'm like, oh my god, this hurts like a motherfucker. <laughs> I'm like, let me just damn. say on behalf of Lauren. Dave had padding on his back. Lauren, as you see, is as vulnerable as fuck. Mm -hmm. Right? Oh, yeah. She's got she that costume. It's falling apart. <laughs> yeah. Now, I, like, I am so take, sorry. Yeah. She had to take in that one sequence where he really just, in slow motion, just goes to town on her. I mean, she really had to take those hits to her thighs and everything. I mean, she's so exposed. Oh, um, I felt so bad. I, I it hurts. So I mean, bad. you try to make it out of something as delicate. I mean, we have like silicone rubber. 
but still you can whip somebody with it at full force. It stinks. It hurts. It can leave welts. There's no, there's yeah. no doubt. Really no way to hide it or fake it. Um, so she, she, she got me back. Good. <laughs> it was well-deserved. You know, she's like, Oh my God. I'm like, no, no, I deserved it. I deserved it. <laughs> it's like, it's only fair. Woo. I'd, I'd love to know who came up with the mashed potato scene. Cause oh damn my it. God, you ruined so, my Thanksgiving and Christmas forever. And it's the best. That's the best. <laughs> That was that's me. one of those moments where it was playing. It's I we I did not know no, what I was going to be doing that no. night. No, that was a script. The mashed potatoes is the script. Yeah, Uh-oh. yeah. But the, that whole that whole entire bit there that's like we had like the mashed potato ending to it all. But like how we got there is one of those things that we we just experimented with on that day. I mean, we pretty much play. I let him play on every. <laughs> you know it's like i there's what's in the script and what i know i want to see him do that i feel like it's going to work and then i just let him go off and uh yeah. so again there's so much footage of him coming in and playing and ringing that oh. bell. and i had so much fun with that my i, I call it, it was my miss doubtfire moment. yeah it was I loved so it. great it was and about that scene i mean before it, it, again we, we're into spoiler territory here when the mom gets her face blasted off with a uh-huh. shotgun, just yeah. creating that effect. So what, what went into actually pulling that off? Was there a mold made of the mother's head basically? And did you actually blow it apart with a, a, a legit shotgun? What would you do? We, we absolutely did. It was the classic old school Tom Savini technique. So we were, mm. we were, we did it upstate. I mean, all legal, of course. I mean, uh, the way you could have a legal gun and things like that, but uh, we mold and nobody was there. But so it was, we took a mold of Sarah who plays the mother, her head. And then I, so it was, I made a wax, a hollow wax version. And then I coated that with silicone, I think a silicone skin. And then we filled that with goat brains and acrylic eyeballs and just <laughs> meat, just chunks of fat. So <laughs> much meat. Everything you would imagine, uh, blood filled condoms. And then we just sealed up, we sealed up the neck flipped it over and then we propped it up and that was it. And we really just blew it to pieces. Um, that, and I that did was not a funny was, night. Yeah. I didn't think it was going to disappear. I mean, the head just disappeared. That was insane. Yeah. What and, happens uh, in terms of that? Like when you, when you get <laughs> and you, 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 you film a scene like this, you make this thing, you film it. What if it doesn't work? What if it doesn't have that look that you want it to achieve? Then what do you just go back and make another one and shut everything down for a week or what? I mean, it depends. In that case, we only had one head. So we couldn't have reshot it. I mean, literally. Um, but I mean, I was—I didn't want it to blow to pieces. I, I was hoping it just, <laughs> just like flat you know, backwards or something yeah. like. And it just disappeared. Uh, <laughs> this was this was an amazing moment too that night. I wasn't actually—I was in the trailer, of, you know, while they were filming this bit and stuff like that, and. It, it it was this thing exploded everywhere. I I heard the blast go off, and so I'm sitting in the trailer. I'm like, "Oh, that must have been it." And about two or three minutes later, our DP George comes charging into the room, going, "Oh shit! Oh shit! Oh shit! Oh shit! Oh fuck! 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 Fuck!" And see, George doesn't do this. George does not freak out. And I'm like, "Oh my god! Someone got shot!" I'm like, "Oh god, god!" But no, it was. This thing exploded so much it got all the camera stuff coated in meat and gore. Oh no! (laughs) Yeah, expensive camera stuff, and so George is freaking out, just like a Q-tip trying to clean all the equipment and everything. Yeah, and I I go into into the room and I look around, and there's blood and meat and stuff 
everywhere, ceiling, floor. I was like, how did it get there behind every? I'm like, this is just, it looked like a bomb went off in that room of gore. It was amazing. And all that stuff, is that filmed in, are these practical locations? Is that someone's garage or something? Or is these sets built in a warehouse somewhere? This was, yeah, this is upstate in Canajoharie, New York, in the middle of nowhere. I mean, we filmed a huge chunk of the movie in a giant barn, which is just basically a tin can. There's no insulation or anything like that. So we built the Clown Cafe, Sienna's bedroom, Allie's room, the crypt. Like they're, They're all right next to each other in this freezing cold barn. Uh, so th- that was miserable. But yeah, it, we, sh- we shot that particular scene in a garage, even recessed even further back in the, in the woods. Um, but yeah, that was, that, that was wild. That was interesting. Man, shout out yeah. to the production designer because you'd never know. I mean, oh, it felt yeah. like a real house. And yeah, and it also right. captured that, I mean, again, I don't know if it's if it's the way you light it, the film you're using, or if you're using film. Like the whole thing has its own, like almost looks like it was shot in 16 millimeter or something. It looks like it exists within its own world, but it doesn't look like it's in this time. It looks like a previous time. What what's the magic going on behind the camera there? Yeah, um, if I could, I would really shoot these movies on film on Super 16 or even 35 millimeter, and I, then I would go further just to. Not not degrade it, but really just with the color correction, make it look like a movie from the seven late seventies or early eighties. That's my favorite looking well, for a slasher movie. Yeah. I love it so much. I love that look. So we, we do what we can with the in post production with the color correction. Uh, you know, it's a matter of and, and adding some actually added some sixteen millimeter grain to the film to give it more of that filmic look. But it's digital, you know. But um, yeah, I mean those lenses were, you know, they're fifty, hundred thousand dollar lenses that we got meat caked up into those. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it looked like it looked like we were gonna bake them, you know, like like cupcakes or something, meat cupcakes. It was like insane. <laughs> oh my! God. I also want to go back to talking about Sienna's room because yes, this is please. one of those things where I I want to just give all of the props to our our production team on this, especially. Jackie and Olga because they made that whole entire room in one night. You're oh. kidding me. Yeah. It was amazing. I, cause I walked in there that night to set and there's like, there wasn't even it. The walls weren't even fully painted yet. And so there's nothing else in the room. And I'm like, Oh my God, how is this all going to be ready by tomorrow? We got to film the scene tomorrow. The first scene in the bedroom. And they stayed up all night decorating that room. And like I, when I saw the room the next day, I, I was just stunned because there's so many little bits of detail that were in this room that you probably don't even pick up on camera. I was having so much fun just searching just the books on the shelves and all the things on her desk where she's making her costumes and everything. It's like they did all of this in less than a day. Yeah, it, it, was, it was absolutely astounding. Absolutely astounding. It's just. Is that stuff that's informed by script? Damien, do you get super involved in the production design process or do you kind of pick your team and let them kind of play? No, I'm, I'm very involved with a lot of it. I mean, she'll, we'll do the, uh, the essentials, like color scheme. Like going into that room, I knew I wanted the color scheme. Like I wanted that crazy wallpaper. Like everybody tried to talk me out of that wallpaper. Like I wanted that mm-hmm. looks like trees, like uh, silver trees and black like no no it's gonna look great it's gonna look great the lights are gonna reflect off of it but then um when it comes down to 
the really like, like the minutiae, the little details. Like that's where really like Olga comes in. She has to fill up, you know, her desk with everything that she's working on and the paints and the tools and just all that stuff. Like you said, the books and her little decorations. Like we know, we know going in that Sienna loves fantasy and things, you know, so Dungeons and Dragons and fairies and things like that has to come into play. So we kind of just stay in that world if we can with little ornaments, things like that. But yeah. So like color schemes and things like that. I knew I wanted Allie's room to be yellow because mm-hmm. I knew I wanted the blood is, was going to really show up on those yellow walls. Also, yeah. we got to talk about the one Easter egg in that room too. Oh, Your please do. Alfred Hitch. There's Alfred, he gets an Alfred Hitchcock moment in that room. And I didn't even realize this. I was staring at it for the longest time. And they're like, because they're like, Dave, where's Damien in here? I'm like, I, what, what I was looking everywhere in this room. You want to tell them what it is? Yeah, <laughs> that giant poster above Sienna's uh, desk that says uh, Queen Phoenix. Yes. It's, uh, yeah. it's like an album coming out. Yeah, that's that's me. Oh, no <laughs> way. <laughs> yeah. That's so cool. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. But they did that as a joke the night before because yeah. apparently my buddy or somebody did uh, at the time, you know, those face apps and turning men into you know, women and stuff like that was like really happening and uh i made a very attractive woman that people you're uh, hot as a girl man (laughs) (laughs) i look like aubrey plaza (laughs) dude man i was like i had no idea like who is this hot chick on this one that's damien i'm like no oh no i I gotta go take a shower (laughs) one of my favorite characters was the little pale girl can you talk about finding amelie and how it was working with her. Not her. Uh, that is that is like the ultimate character that I've been dying to talk about with people for the longest. Oh Little pale. Amelie. Good old Amelie. Amelie. Yeah. <laughs> Amelie McLean. You know, like you could just judge by an actor's charisma or something. You don't, you don't want to just go overboard with specific direction and just have them bogged down though or whatever. So like with Dave, I was, I was vague, you know, I want to see what he's bringing to it. I mean, you know, try and decapitate this person and be very gleeful about it. You know, that's it. And then just let him go off and see what he's capable of and what he could bring to it. Even with Amelie, like we knew the age range of the little girl. And then when we contacted her, you know, I said, all right, can you just look in the mirror and make really creepy, funny faces and big smiles and like wide eyes and things like that. And then she just sent me back a video of her doing all this. And I was like, Oh, she's, going to be great i mean if i know i have her there i know i could probably bring her here if i want or bring you know turn tone her down a little bit if i want so that was so that was so easy i mean and she really the two of them working together was great first of all mm-hmm. and very fun to watch but visually her look wasn't always supposed to be a mini art the clown originally she's a little little homage to this uh Edgar Allan Poe Fellini movie that I love called Spirits of the Dead. And there's a, there's a devil character in it that's portrayed by a creepy little girl. So, and I kind of wanted to do that. So originally she was going to be in sort of like a sundress or something hippie-ish kind of thing. This girl with like flowers in the hair or something like that. This creepy girl like that. And literally the Halloween before we started shooting this, I remember getting tagged in tons of photos of people dressing up as art men and women doing their art cosplay and i still have it in my phone there's like 30 girls dressing up as art and i said i said you know what i said i gotta jump on that before it's too late and i said i'm gonna turn turn her into a mini art the clown and then of course i added all kinds of other creepy elements to her like her eyes and i wanted her teeth to be 
everything about her to be a little off, but not so in your face. So like I gave her hairy arms and like I switched her teeth. So her uppers are on her lows. Oh, interesting. Wow. <laughs> All those details that just make it look like unsettling that you can't necessarily mm. pick up on. Yeah. How long yeah. was she in the makeup chair for? Longer than me. You think? I don't know. Not at all. Not at all. No, like, with the, the hair, I think like the hair on the arms took a long time. Oh, that maybe. Yeah. Because yeah. we had we had hair and makeup. They had to get her into that that whole aspect. But I mean, yeah. from me to do her makeup, maybe yeah. it took 40, 40 minutes. I mean, Dave could take two or three hours with his prosthetic. She didn't wear any prosthetics, so it was just straight makeup. Yeah. I, yeah. But, but um, she had to wear those horrible contact lenses. I had to give her mad props for that. Oh. For, for a little girl to get full scleras, I don't remember how old she was on this, but she, I think she was 10. But even, oh, my uh, God. Yeah, yeah. Like, the, we had to send her to an optometrist to get her eyes measured because they had a fits. They, they cover the entire eye, and we had to have a specialist on set every day. He could be the only one to put them in and take them in and out of her eyes. And she was a trooper. I mean, she, I mean instantly he would put those in her eyes, and she could have for she could, she could keep them in for a while, too, before she would – not that she would complain, but before her eyes started drying out and they'd have to put drops in or take them out to give her eyes a rest. So, I mean, she was a dream and she would come in so easy to direct. And again, I gave her a little, you know, nuggets of direction that I want, you know, a big smile come in or whatever, big eyes. And, but then she would watch Dave a lot of times, especially when they first started. And you could see her in the takes mimicking Dave and starting to, do what he's doing and get comfortable, you know, in, in her shoes. And, and it, would, it would make her performance even greater and more fleshed out. And she, you yeah. could see her inner workings going on. And it was, see them work together was fantastic. That was oh, cool. I, I had so much fun working with her. We, we played off of each other so well. I was saying, watching them do the patty cake scene. Oh, and my God. Oh, it's so sweet. Oh yeah, yeah right, at, right after you introduce her by yeah. having her shit on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they don't speak, so they need to communicate in some way. I figured that was a perfect... Uh, and, and what a wonderful way for this character to say hello to him. To it it yeah. reminded me of, like, Frankenstein's monster oh, and the God. little girl. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. relationship. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure, for yeah. sure. So not only, I mean, do we have David playing art, who's terrifying as hell, and now we have Amelie yeah. with Jesus. She's terrifying. And then, of course, we have the return of Samantha Scafidi, uh, Victoria uh-huh. Hayes. Yeah. Oh, God damn, man. What, what a scene that was. Was that a scene that was conceived <laughs> after the fact? Or what, what was going on? Because I had a rumor that that was shot much later after production. Was that... Was um, that uh... That's a story in and of itself. My God. <laughs> we Yeah, we just finished filming that maybe like three months ago now. Oh, so wow. Jeez. Yeah, yeah, give or take. It was very close. So that scene wasn't originally intended to unfold that way. Um, I guess we could say this now, right? We're going into spoilers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Might as well. Originally, that scene ended with they hear it was also a lot longer with uh, Chris Jericho, who plays the um, security. Yes, that's right. All of a sudden, Chris Jericho pops up. He's in Chris Jericho. Uh, and Leah, uh, did you know that's also Leah from the Clown Cafe is also playing the nurse? Oh, no, scene. I didn't oh, know no. that was there. Wow. wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they hear there's no writing on the walls or anything like that. There's a whole different alternative scene with Samantha, what's going on in her cell. And she's in a completely different cell. She's in a padded room and she's just singing the Clown Cafe song and rocking back and forth. And she keeps like scratching the back of her head and her head's bothering her and there's blood on her fingers. 
And then they hear her screaming and they rush into the room and they check her head. And Leah goes to investigate what's going on with her head. And all of a sudden her fingers get bit off and she starts freaking out. And then Jericho jumps on top of her and Sam's freaking out. And she rips open her skull, uh, the back of her scalp, and there's art growing on her like a tumor. (laughs) That's amazing. And we filmed that. And then sure enough, one day I'm coming home from a horror convention and I get a call from my co-producer, Jay. And he goes, buddy, did you see Malignant? <laughs> You're like, no, yeah. no, no. He goes, you might want to check out the end of that movie. And my fucking heart sank. I said, uh, I, yeah. I said wow. Like you had filmed it already. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We filmed it. We filmed oh, it. Oh, heartbreaking. Will we ever get to see it? Like on a bonus feature? I, I may do it. It was never colored properly or, um, and it would require some VFX. To, mm, sure. We had like a puppet and everything that we would digitally put Dave's face on. So once mm-hmm. we wrapped it, we never did, we never went that far, but, uh, yeah, that was, that was heartbreaking, but yeah. same time it led to, I think, in my opinion, a far superior ending <laughs> And it's an ending that was such a blessing in disguise because there were already things that were set up where you feel like that was the natural ending. It's just the way the pale girl walks away with his severed head. I literally told Amelie, I was like, I want you to walk away cradling it like a baby. Like it, it was just like everything was like sort of meant to be and going that direction. And I got to say, once we knew that that happened with Malignant, I said, listen, I can't put that out because people are going to obviously think we took it from that movie. I said, it's too fresh. It just came out. I said, I don't know. I said, maybe we'll leave it out and we'll worry about this. We'll come up with something better at the beginning of part three or something like that. And I was talking to Olga, our costume designer. And she's like, well, what else could we do? Where else could he come out of? And he goes, maybe he comes out of her there, you know, and, and we're like, <laughs> And we're just laughing. Just crazy enough for a Terrifier yeah, movie. Let's fuck. do it. Yeah. Almost jokingly. And I said, immediately, I said, no, no. I said, that's it. I said, that's exactly. And she's like, she's going to give birth to Art the Clown. I said, well, just his head. That's <laughs> 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 fucking crazy. Um, so I got to give, you know, I got to say, that's mine and Olga's baby. That, that, that's it. Literally. <laughs> <laughs> so the whole concept of having the pale girl, when was that? Was that something that you guys had talked about during? number one or did Damien did you come up with that after just like we need someone else to for him to interact with it'd be fun to see yeah I knew I wanted I wanted a character that was listen I don't if you want to we're really get because now I got to be careful because we're kind of getting into potential an expanded world yeah um I knew I wanted this demon whether or not it's the devil itself or just a demon I wanted it to appear to be art's guide. And I knew I wanted this apparition and I knew I wanted to be a little girl because I love that Fellini short film. So that's something, it's an idea that I had an idea that I, you know, but, but she, of course, like everything else, these ideas, they come, but then they mold and they evolve into something. Yeah. I, I remember your, your first idea with it was like the two of us doing each other's makeup. It, well, it looks like we're doing each other's makeup, but it's like, we're actually just carving each other's faces up. The whole yeah. Night. You were carving her face up. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, well, that's the scene it's in the movie, but it's not you. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, Cause yeah. I, need, I needed you to be, I, I had to have you by Brooke and, uh, and yeah. Jeff to kill them while she was doing that. Unfortunately, that would have been a great scene. <sighs> So, I mean, that said, so do you have, uh, did this movie kind of blow up your brain as far as the expansion of 
Art's story? Is there more story to tell? I mean, it seems like, I mean, once we get into a little bit of Sienna's backstory, there seems to be more of a more of an unexplained story there that I definitely want to hear more of. Is there more of an arc to this character? Oh, there's so I, much, so much, <laughs> so much left to explore with, because um, in this one, you don't know. We didn't explore what the mega goal of these characters are, like why he was resurrected. Is there a greater goal that they're trying to achieve or do they want to just sort of it's these two demons now want to just revel in murder mayhem and depravity right the only task we know at this point is that she's guiding art to sienna because they have to stop sienna they they know sienna is going to be this counterpart that's coming that's going to try and take them out or stop them from doing what they're doing so I, that's what this movie really focused on and they're both of these characters on the same trajectory, figuring out this where they are, where they, you know, where what kind of sort of supreme evil art is. And now this divine, you know, angel warrior that Sienna is becoming, this transcendence between both characters. That's what I really wanted to focus on this one. But now where it goes from there, there's so many possibilities. I have so many ideas. And even this new ending just shifted where I was gonna go originally, and it's gonna make be careful it's gonna oh, make i like it i love it man i love it yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be good i have a lot of really really cool ideas yeah. for future i was so happy with this new idea for the ending myself especially because of you know we just bringing more we just yeah. Be- yeah yeah <laughs> but I, I was just very excited because i'm like uh, i i I've always loved the character Victoria and I always wanted to expand more on her character and the what we were able to do in the first mm-hmm. film. And, and I mean, not to, not to spoil anything, but David, do you like staying one step ahead of art, the character? Do you like knowing what Damien has in store for the full scope or do you like kind of being surprised as well? Does that help you? A, a little bit of both. And, and that's how it has been with Damien. I, he, he clues me into certain things like, you know, important character arc stuff, but there's a lot of things he likes to leave as surprises for me. Mm-hmm. Like, that's why I love you know, when I read the first, the, the script, the first time for part two, I'm, I, I sat there in his apartment reading it. And he, I think he was just getting so much enjoyment out of just watching me read the script. Sure. Cause I, I'm, I'm very verbal when I'm reading things like this. I was getting so excited. There's so many surprises that I did not expect. And I, and I know he's already doing that for part three. He's he's, I know he's got already ideas and I'm like, he, he's like, he doesn't want to tell me certain ideas. I'm like, I'm okay. I'm okay. Cause I, I like those surprises. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, for you, Damien, is that part of the fun of the creative process for you and holding things back and then, okay, it's done guys. You can read it. Oh, for sure. For sure. I love it. <laughs> it's, it's writing a script is in many ways harder than making the film, believe it or not, because you really have nobody else to, to rely on. I mean, nothing. It's just you and the blank screen. So that's, that's tough. And you want to see how, how those ideas work. I mean, so I, I was just on my phone on the other side of my apartment while he was and just listening to the beats. And when he would laugh, I knew like, what scene he was up to. Oh, and what was that's fine. That was, that was exciting. But I always say like every time I speak to somebody or about the movie, where I am, it's like, I have an idea right now who these characters are, where they're going. But tomorrow you never know. I might come up with a better idea. I never stop. I never just say, Oh, this is perfect. This has to be the way it is. Mm-hmm. Like, I will constantly keep thinking and trying to come up with something better. And look what just happened with the end of the movie. I mean, yeah. it's 
constantly fluid, constantly changing and evolving. And until it's out, until you get to the editing room and it's locked, like this thing could constantly keep changing form. So you never know. You never know what tomorrow is going to bring. And if we're going to have a crazier deer, that uh, idea that could just shoot us into a completely different trajectory. You know, who knows? It's exciting though. As far as like an, as an independent film team goes, do these movies get any easier to make uh, the more successful they are? You know, they going on screen box in these theaters and everything and this hype surrounding number two and the love of number one. Does number three get any easier? Is it still the same challenge? I think three is going to be a lot easier to raise money for. There's, there's no doubt. Um, part two would have been just as difficult if we didn't hit that Indiegogo mm-hmm. goal, honestly. Mm-hmm. I and mean, the fans came in and saved us. There's no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Well, in terms of physically making these movies, part two was a thousand times harder than anything I've ever done in my entire life. It was grueling, beyond grueling. Um, it's just long hours, literally just years of working on this and building special effects and then being in really cold environments. That was tough, but uh, we were surrounded by so many amazing people with great personalities, tons of levity. I mean, that's the most important thing. That's the only thing that's going to get you through these difficult shoots. So um, I, I I have to give a big shout out to Jason Levy right there for adding that levity on set because boy, we would have those miserable nights, especially during the climax of the film. And there was this one night in particular where I, I think everybody's morale was a little bit down because we were a little bit behind schedule and we're all, it's maybe day three or four in a row. We're exhausted. And out of nowhere, Jason Levy, who, who was like what, the bald headed cop in the first film, mm-hmm. Just a co-producer. Yeah. He just busts into the room wearing the Valkyrie costume. <laughs> he looked like a naked baby wearing a Valkyrie costume. And I I about crapped myself laughing. I was like, it, 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 it just this is how especially he was on set this whole entire time. He was always finding ways to just you know, keep us laughing and, you know, boost morale and stuff like that. And like one night he just came in with a bunch of insomnia cookies in the middle of the night. It just in milk for everybody. It was those kind of things. And it is, but that's how this whole entire crew was. We were like a giant family during all this. Cause I think Fright Factory broke all of us at one point or another. So Fred Factory is it going to that's that's an actual haunted house you guys filmed yes, that then. Yes. Uh, okay. Okay. It's just because it was just so cold there and because it's in the middle of winter and it is in this all these long nights over and over and over and over and over again cuz and it's in, and there's so much energy being put into everything cuz that's a very high energy part of the film. Mm. And it, but that's why it, it it mattered that we were such a tight knit group of cast and crew because mm-hmm. everybody pulled their weight and everybody supported each other. Even if morale was down, there was always someone trying to bring everybody back up. And it, it, was, it, was, it was a wonderful experience in that way. It's so weird to see I hear Art the Clown talk like this. He's actually it's a so motivational weird. speaker. Right. He's, like, he's like an evil Tony Robbins. <laughs> During filming and being around all this chaos, does it affect your dreams at all? No. 
No. <laughs> like, Oddly enough, no. I had a nightmare. Yeah, she had a nightmare after watching Terrifier 2. Wow. Yeah. I'm, you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> Do tell. What happened? It was just this really weird thing, and this lady wasn't giving me what she was supposed to give me, and I knew she had it. And I touched her head and my fingers went through and her head just like melted into nothing. And I was like, oh, my God, what did I do to her? Like, why did her head just crumble? And I was like, it was that movie. Yeah, it was. It, it was, was yeah, totally that movie. That movie. <laughs> You're welcome. I wanted to ask about, uh, uh, I know we've kept it forever, but we got a hit on this. Chris Jericho and Felissa Rose, just getting them involved. What was that process like? Was that people that you had known and met, fans of Terrifier, for instance, maybe, who expressed interest and they wanted to be in the next one how did that work yeah well you met jericho right we found mm-hmm. out because jericho was a fan we heard people uh i mean i had friends who are huge wrestling fans be like dude i was listening to jericho's podcast and he just talked about terrible <laughs> he just like, said he's a huge fan of Arthur clown i'm like what uh, that's fucking crazy and then he wound up meeting you right at a, yeah we're, we're in atlanta at a convention and i'm sitting there and i'm like signing autographs at the table and I, I just feel this presence breaking the line and I thought someone just being rude and I look up and it's Jericho just hovering right above me. It's Jericho being rude. Yeah, because I, I was about to say, I'm, I'm sorry, man, but I'm like, he's like, hey, I'm like, oh, he's like, hey, man, you want to be on my podcast? I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And so he invited me to come up and be on his podcast that night and we, we shot the shit for about an hour or so. And that, that was a surreal experience because like even before I walked in there, he and DDP were doing one together. And so I was like watching Jericho and DDP doing wow. a podcast together, talking about yoga. And I'm like, this is surreal. But that's how we got into this. And then we did another convention in, in New Jersey and Damien was at that one. So I was like, Damien, you got to meet, meet Jericho. He's a huge fan and everything. And they hit it off right there. Yeah, and he just wanted to be a part of it in, in, in any way, man. I was like, dude, of course. So I was like, I'll get you in there. I'll whip up something, you know. I think the script may have even already been written. I was like, but I'll, I'll get you in there. And, and he he came down to film for, for two days, and I didn't know what to expect working with him. And he's just immediately put me at ease and was just so friggin' nice and so cool. So easy to work with. He's like, dude, you know, whatever you need me to do. It's like, you're, you know, you're the boss. This is your, your show. And he's just like such a nice guy. Very cool. Very funny. Huge horror fan. You know, we, when I, when I talked to him at the horror convention, he was just talking about the thing and all these amazing eighties movies for like a half an hour. Um, so that was great. He's super supportive of us still. So very and lucky. The, and, and then Felissa. And Felissa, we met at horror conventions and she is as close to family. Like we immediately took to her and she's yeah. so loving. I've never met one person at a convention who does not love Felissa. Like she's family. Yeah. Everybody is obsessed with her because she's one of the nicest, most genuine, caring people you'll ever meet. No, no joke. Even, even though her scene was small and she was always on set for one day, the vibe and the energy that she brought to set you knew there was something different going on on set infectious everybody laughing what's going on like we were just screaming that we also um tamara glenn as well and tamara glenn came in yeah. it was fantastic in the costume shop i mean all these people are great and we you know lucky to start crossing paths with these people now at conventions and things like that and yeah. these are people we grew up 
loving and watching and you know, Felissa, Tamara. I mean, these are the movies we grew up as kids watching. It's, it's very surreal to, to work with them now. Is there any horror icons that are out there that you would love to see uh, cross paths in a Terrifier movie? Oh, my God. Tons. There's so yeah. many. I love Bruce Campbell. Yeah. yeah amazing. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're very close with bill mosley yeah nice richard Brake. there's so many awesome people that we, we yeah. we're becoming friendly with now um kane kane hodder has made <sighs> yeah. they're they're sweethearts which yeah. is they're right they're maniacs on screen but they're the nicest people they're right so, as, as we're learning here yeah. from uh, mr david thornton here <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> david yeah, is there any done. moment that that you go into method when you're on set as art do you, when you put on that makeup do you just go silent and do you have to go into that character immediately or can you just get it in and out pretty easily I can turn it on and turn it off, which I think everybody's glad that I can. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't go full Leto and just inhabit the character the whole entire time I'm there. So yeah, so that's 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 a good thing. I think everybody would would want to kill me by the end of the first day if I was fully art most of the time. But I, I, I do have my moments where I like to play pranks on people, especially Lauren, because she does have a fear of clowns. Oh boy! Oh, wow! Geez. Oh yeah, and I would occasionally like her first day on set, especially she uh, was when we were filming the, the exterior for um, the the um, the whole theme park haunted uh, house place. Yeah, and they're inside getting makeup done and stuff like that. I was already in costume. They had already seen me, so they already knew what I looked like and everything. But I I just stood outside the window, looking in the window, and just made a face. And I was just, and I stood there for a good five, six minutes waiting for them to notice me. Oh man, that's, that's creepy. Yeah. And then they <laughs> turn around to see me staring in the window and they did both like Kaylee and um, Lauren just screamed their heads off. And I'm like, welcome to Terrifier 2. <laughs> <laughs> I would do nice. that to Lauren several times on set. I would sneak up behind her when she's talking to somebody. I would just stand behind her, wait for her to around and i'm just right there and I'm, I, I i was i was really risking my life doing this because she could totally kick my ass in a heartbeat because she kickboxes and everything so i was really really risking myself doing this but i was like you know i i, I love to do that because i love to scare people anyway so i was like hey, i gotta have some fun here uh, i want number three to be 3d Oh yeah, that'd be nice. That'd be nice. That that'd be would classic, be right? Insane. <laughs> I literally just watched uh, Friday Thirteen Part Three two nights ago uh, for the millionth time. But yeah, that was. Um, that is, who knows? We're gonna do three D. We're gonna send them to space. We're gonna go to yeah. Vegas. But the most important one is time art, travel. Is art gonna ever talk? No, no, never. Oh, uh, yeah. It's not even a spoiler. I would never. <laughs> <laughs> I would but never you, <laughs> you do hear my voice in uh, Terrifier Two at a different part. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Ooh. You, yeah, that's a yeah. little fun fact. Huh. Yes, can you the go, clown can cafe. You go, oh, in the clown cafe. Why don't you uh-huh. do it, Dave? Why don't you do it? As I, I, was like, well, I can't even remember the line now, but it, it's, it was the whole announcer for the uh, the um, the uh, Art Crispy cereal. Yes. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, you are crispies, razor blades, whatever it was. I was doing my Joker voice, basically. Oh, that's incredible! Yeah, <laughs> another so fantastic me. prop, the Art Crispies. Yes, which we yes. need to see that cereal being sold at conventions. Yes. Yes. I know. 
I love the artwork. Oh that. my god, yeah. <laughs> that was fun. That was that was one of those things. Like, what do I call these art? We were coming up with names: art pops, art, art flakes. So that is like, of course, it's Krispies. He lights everybody on fire. Awesome, you guys. Well, we've kept you for like you two know, hours. for twenty minutes, almost oh two gosh. hours, almost as long as the movie, guys. That's fine. We I, you know, it's been great so talking much. about this all because I, man, oh we've been god. keeping this silent for three years, <laughs> right? Like, Oh, it's like we're dying to talk about it. Yeah. Oh my god! And it's just, so to have its UK premiere. Did it already happen? It happened today, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it happened uh, one forty-five p.m. Uh, their time, which was like eight forty-five our time. Wow! As soon as, I, as soon as I woke up, I went right into the phone, and I'm trying to see what's going on. Anybody tweeting about it? Anything? And uh, the response has been. Too good to be true at this point. Yep. It's remarkable. It's overwhelmingly po- uh, positive reviews. So we, well deserved, man. Who's down there yeah. from the team? Anyone down there from the team got to see it in the theater with everybody? Nobody. The only people that we uh, we know are people who run the Art the Clown Appreciation Society on Facebook that mm-hmm. we're very friendly with. Um, a couple of those people were able to go down and see it, see the screening, uh, and they liked it a lot. I mean, they loved it so. It's exciting, man. It's very exciting. Uh, it's very nerve wracking. I was very anxious last night because you don't know. We took a lot of chances, especially mm-hmm. with this whole supernatural element. Mm-hmm. Didn't, know, didn't know how people were going to take that um, this whole angel versus demon thing. But uh, so far, it's good, and they certainly love the gore. Uh, oh you know? my gosh! Oh man! Well, you know, this movie is is absolutely next level. This is the one to beat. You're talking slashers. This is the one to beat. I mean, what are you guys, what were your, uh, if you don't mind me asking, uh, your top two, each of you, favorite gore scenes in the movie? Oh, shit. For, I mean, for me, I would say the mashed potatoes. Yeah. And uh, really? I, yeah, and I think the bed, the bed scene, the, the alley scene, for sure. Okay. The mashed potatoes. That's interesting. That's <laughs> yeah, I mean, I loved the scene with fire because I love that whole. Which, the bedroom scene or the, the clown uh, the cafe? The clown cafe just yeah. the way everything played out and just like my eyes didn't know where to look yeah. first there was just so much going on and obviously the mashed potatoes i mean it was so mean <laughs> yeah that's the thing it was just so <laughs> fucking mean that was the one scene was like he she fucking just shoved mashed potatoes in her <laughs> Shotgun blasted jerk. face. It's unbelievable. It's like what Can a you dick. Imagine how messed up that would be to be in Jonathan's place. Yes. Right? You're running home and you come inside and you see your dead mom's blown off face just there. And then this creature comes in and just tries to serve dinner. It's it's, it's, it's it's surreal. It's so yeah. absurdly surreal. That yeah. It's so shocking on a deep, deep level. And I think also yeah. just seeing it through the eyes of kids too made yeah. it even you know even made some of the gore even that much more nasty for me. Yeah, it was when he, as soon as he opens fire on the clown cafe thing, I was like. What the fuck, fuck is happening? Yeah. This is nuts. Like this yeah. is out of control. Yeah. I wouldn't. I couldn't even anticipate something like that would happen. And that's again what I love about these movies. You can't anticipate something so crazy happening. Yeah. It's right. like Tommy uh, Gun. Yeah, it's like just. <laughs> it's like mainlining uh, imagination. It's yeah. just like whoa. Yeah. It's like being at Disneyland almost for your mind because you just can't yeah. anticipate it. So that scene and yeah, the mashed potatoes thing for me was just I, like I said, just mean. Yeah. And obviously the alley <laughs> scene and. Uh, God, the the scene with um, even Brooke, uh, where yes. he throws like the acid all over her face, and her face is bubbling, and she does a close up of her face, and I don't know how you did that. Was that was that was there any CGI there at all? Was that a, a puppet mechanism? What did you do? 
no CGI. It's just a prosthetic. Um, and then uh, I put little uh, condoms underneath the prosthetic that I would just blow into with little tubes to make them. Oh, oh, so God. creative. So, so cool. Yeah. Well, it's going to be so exciting <laughs> yes. just to watch everybody's reaction to this movie. We're so excited yeah. for you guys. And I mean, is there anything else? I mean, just as we wrap up here, is there anything else that you guys have planned for the rollout of this movie that we'll see, I don't know, even when it comes to merchandise or anything like that as part of the rollout for, for Terrifier 2? Um, I don't think there's any new merch coming out. Um, I did. I was contacted uh, a couple of places want to make a life-size animatronic art for, for you know, like Spirit Hop. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Do it, do it, do it. Yeah, no, I love that. Love that. So yeah. that kind of cool. I mean, so many options. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, we're, you know, we're always going to Dave and I are always going to conventions. We have a bunch coming up. We're going to be in the UK in October for the first time. That's going to be exciting. That's great. Um, so you're going to yeah. be attending some screenings and things once the movie opens up and. Yeah, absolutely. We're still waiting to hear exactly what the specific rollout's going to be. It hasn't been announced exactly what theaters it's going to be playing in, but I know there's going to be premieres. There's still, um, uh, Fantastic Fest in Austin is going to be the U.S. premiere. Yeah, going to be in the, at the end of September. That's going to be huge. I really want to see that with my cast and crew. I need to see mm-hmm. it with, uh, with an audience, with my crew, and my you know that's it's so rewarding. I know it's going to be a fun experience to hear everybody scream and react to these scenes. Um, so you guys still haven't had a chance to see it with an audience at all, huh? No, oh, I have, no. most of my cast and crew haven't even seen the movie. Yeah, so oh, that's, wow. that's going to be amazing. Wow. I send people. Yeah, I haven't even seen it yet. Hasn't seen it yet. Yeah. Are you serious? I, I, want, I want to see it with an audience. Oh, like first time. Okay. I get it. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that first yeah. time has got to yeah. be really important. Seen virtually the entire thing in pieces over time, but he's never seen it as a cohesive piece. No. And it certainly has. It's changed since yeah, you seeing it put together is going to be a completely mm-hmm. new. Experience especially with people so that's it spoiler that's it's fucking awesome <laughs> I know. i'm so excited I'm, I'm like a little girl <laughs> well you guys thank again you thank you so, so much for thank taking you. the time man we appreciate it we know yeah. we went over but man it means everything oh, no, to us so we fine. love you guys that was the brew crew podcast episode 351 special thanks to our guests damian leone and david howard thornton at time of release terrifier 2 is in theaters now until October 10th from Cinedime and Iconic Events with exclusive streaming details for Bloody Disgustings and Cinedime's Screambox app soon to come. Production tracks for this one provided by the good folks at Powerman 5000. Till next time, my name is Trevor, and on behalf of myself, Lauren and Leo, this is the Boo Crew saying, sweet screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at TalesFromTheBoo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shams. And Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Bye. The Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network, home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews, SCP archives, weekly full cast storytelling, horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and creepy for disturbing and terrifying creepypastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.